boy, I should have just posted the podcast I did. I tried to do this intro like five minutes ago, and it turned into this mana fucking festo that no one will ever hear about hashtags and heartfelt moments of my life. Um, Here's what's going on. This is an intro. Uh, tour dates, go to burtburtburt.com. I am in Philly, Dayton, and Baltimore. I think that's it. Maybe Irvine also in December. Tour dates are getting canceled because I'm in production. I'm in production to make money for my family. I'm not doing the podcast you love that sometimes you're like, how come you haven't been on Rogan? Trust me. If I'm in town for two days, I definitely email Joe. Joe's schedule is packed. Uh, so I, don't worry. The second I can and our schedules link up, it will happen. Same with Joey Diaz, same with Ralphie May, all my friends. I'm trying to get them on my podcast. I'm trying to get them, I'm trying to get on their podcast, but I'm only home for two days, possibly sometimes. And when I'm home, I have to be a dad. And that is my number one priority. Uh, please respect this masculinity. <laughs> I, uh, I'm obsessed with the hashtag masculinity. <laughs> masculinity is so fragile because mine is, mine is horrifically fragile my masculinity is sitting on a ledge and everyone's yelling jump including me um i guess <laughs> i have no masculinity i don't even know if i'm masculine at all i should look up mask stop okay here we go uh great podcast <laughs> coming out today i'm sitting in a hotel room in michigan my whole crew's asleep my call isn't until two out to two hours after theirs and uh and i'm having a, a nice cold oh, that was should have been time better i'm having a nice cold beer all right um what else are i going to tell you oh i'm thinking about doing this tell me if you like this uh i was think i haven't read that rolling stone article about myself in 18 years i read it maybe twice probably twice the day it came out and that was it and i realized that the other day a friend i say a friend of mine god damn it it's fucking semantics uh, a guy I know on Twitter, Luca 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 Banna, um, posted that he bought a copy of the Undergraduate, my article in the Rolling Stone magazine, and I kind of it kind of hit me weird, and I thought I haven't really I haven't really thought about that article in in a long time. I tried to distance myself from it for a very long time, and I wouldn't say I would say up until recently I started embracing it. Maybe I got to a, a who fucking knows. My point is, I was thinking about reading it out loud on a podcast, reading the whole article from beginning to end, because I know that the majority of, me, of you haven't read it, and I know that my audiobook sold exponentially better than my um, my written book because I'm so good at reading aloud, and I get off track, and I get, and it's only six and a half pages, so I think I can get through that in easily an hour. <laughs> anyway, uh, so let me know if you think I should do that or not. And if you want me to do it, what, what, what am I saying? I, here's a, can I tell you this? This is the truth. Uh, tell me if you think that would be ego-driven. Don't say that. That would be ego-driven. Just say like, hey, Bert, read the article. Would rather not hear it on your podcast. Be kind. I have a soft soul. I have no masculinity. All right. Uh, so that's it. Did I tell them my stand-up dates? Go to BertBertBert.com. Philly, Baltimore, Dayton, Irvine. Not in that order. Uh, Shooting Birth Conquer, if you hit me up, tell me where you are. Maybe we're going to be in your town. I know we're going to definitely go to Springfield. We're going to Branson. We're going to Florida. 
We're going to Utah. We're going to Montana, I think. So hit me up. Let me know. All right. Today's guest. Today's guest. Oh, today's guest. Today's guest is from the All Things Comedy Pat. Uh, motherfucker. Let me say that again. Today's guest is a brother of mine on the All Things Comedy Network. Here's a podcast called The Long Shot. It's him, Jamie Flan, Am- Amber Kenny. His name is Sean Conroy. Sean and I have a past that has intermingled. Uh, uh, that's not the right word. Uh, Sean and I have, yeah, I have had a few drinks. He's a comic. He's done uh, UCB. He taught at UCB. Uh, you'll hear all of this on the podcast. He's a fantastic performer. He's beaten me out for a couple roles, and one we'll talk about that I totally forgot until he brings it up. That And the guy is massively funny, massively talented. Put your hands together. Do it. See what it feels like to clap by yourself in your car, in your cubicle. Golf clap for Sean Conroy. This is Yeah. Hey, there's a mic right there. You can... Um, it is... Oh, it doesn't matter. Even if it's on, take the call. Um, the uh, calling of the American mind. It is. I just heard it on NPR, and so I've never heard of the term microaggressions. Have you ever heard of microaggressions? No. Microaggressions is it's like when a small guy wants to fight you. <laughs> that probably actually is a microaggression. <laughs> <laughs> microaggressions are when, um, like you say, I was very guilty of it in the '90s. And well into the 2000s. When you see like an Asian person and you go, or a person of mixed nationality, you go, so what are you? And then, I don't know, I always found it like, I always found it like, I, I, it's like you don't really have a right to ask that question. You don't. But then, but. But you're not being hostile, but in a sense it is aggressive. It is aggressive. Yeah. Like, I, like I'm sure I was microaggressive. There's a, a woman we know, uh, and she was adopted, and then she just found out she's like half black mm-hmm. and i was blown the fuck away and she was like yeah whatever and i was like what do you mean whatever like you just found out you're half bl- you're black you were like come on man black lives matter like i'm like you have, there's so much shit you need to yeah. catch up on like right and she was like well it doesn't change who i am and i go but, but if i found out that i was half black i would totally change who i was like i would it would, it would i don't know it's like one time i said to an audience member i said uh i asked him what he was <laughs> he, microaggression <laughs> And he said, "You can check out Bert's album Microaggressions." <laughs> he said, <laughs> "He said, uh, he said, uh, I'm part uh, part black, part Native American." And I went, "Oh, how cool!" And he went, "Nah, what do you mean?" I said, "I don't know, man. Wouldn't isn't it awesome to be Native American?" And he goes, "No." Nah. He's like, "What are you?" I said, "Just Irish and German." And he goes, "So you think you'd be more interested in yourself if you were Native American?" <laughs> Right, you'd rather be the victims of slavery and genocide. Yeah, right. So, um, so anyway, this coddling of the American mind is the whole thing that Jerry Seinfeld was saying. Ah, yeah. Did, did you have an opinion about? Well, I do think it's become an issue at this point. Um, I mean, I, I don't. Uh, I probably haven't thought about it enough to have a real clear opinion on it. Right. But I do notice certain things are hot buttons. For audiences, and they get squeamish, and they go, yeah. uh, "He said this thing, and I don't know how to react because it's funny, but I don't think I'm supposed to laugh at that." Exactly. You know? um, and I think that's not good. 
I think it's I think it's I think it's sad. And I think it's sad. I mean, here's the deal is that I don't think I don't think the Seinfeld ever really did colleges. Like is it, he doesn't right. like I don't think he really knows what he's talking about. Uh-huh. Him or Chris Rock. I think they're both <laughs> they're, right. it's like let them eat cake. I, they're like they're like, I'm gonna refuse to do colleges from now on. Yeah, I would love to I hear, only have five billion dollars in the bank. So. I would love to see his quote for a college. Right. right. I would I want to see Seinfeld at NACA. <laughs> so but like I, I I definitely go I I think I've definitely had that problem in colleges, but I probably worked a lot bluer than you should have at a college. Mm-hmm. You know, and quite honestly, the kids that are going to those shows aren't really like the coolest kids. Right. Like, I mean, they were. Yeah. I mean, I went to all the comedy shows when I was in college. (laughs) Did you really? Yeah. Well, no, that's not true. But I went to a bunch of them. I never knew we had a comedian. We had, uh, I mean, we had like, when I was in college, we had uh, Emo came to my school a bunch of times. Are you an Emo fan? Yeah. I'm a massive emo fan. Judy Tenuta was there. Kevin Meany was there. I remember He's Kevin Meany. So fucking funny. Because Kevin Meany was like, I'm supposed to be on Saturday Night Live next year. And then I don't think he ever was. Or maybe he was for like a season or something. But Where did you go to school? I went to Holy Cross College in Worcester, Massachusetts. Did you really? Where did you grow up? I grew up in New York, right outside New York City. Yeah? Did you go into the city as a kid? I did. I actually went to high school in the Bronx. So uh, Really? Yeah, I went to high school in the Bronx, motherfuckers. At a prep school. Is it is it you're not you're not a aggro dude, but was like I, from everything I know of you, you're not like a like a f- meathead frat boy. No, no, head no. butter. I don't think so. Like but like there is an interesting aspect of you is that you're a big man. Mm-hmm. So growing up, there was this challenge the big dog. Of course. And you're not that guy. No, but I got into those things more than a few times like what um i mean the worst one that ever happened was this was after i got out of college actually i was with two of my buddies from college and they're both little guys um and we were in larchmont new york you know rough rough area right by the yacht club and uh we were we were at a bar and uh literally there's a place called the Larchmont Yacht Club not to be confused with the Larchmont Shore Club which is a very similar establishment uh but we were at a bar and we had a few drinks and then we were going to go home and we decided to stop off for one more at this place that was called I still remember the name of it cuz I wanted to firebomb it for years after that it was called PK's Pub yeah and we walked in and we sat down and immediately there was a table of eight guys right next to us who were like, let's fucking like we could hear them going like, let's kick the shit out of these guys. And one of the guys like took his glasses off and put them in his pocket. Oh, and one of the guys turned to the bouncer and said, we're going to fight these guys. Is that cool? And the bouncer goes, hey, man, this is all within our earshot. Yeah. The bouncer goes, hey, man, I haven't gotten laid in two weeks. I'm looking for action. Let's do it. And so one of the guys starts shit with one of my friends who stands up and says, you know, just leave me the fuck alone. And the guy grabbed his shoulder. So I jumped up and grabbed that guy. Two of those guys grabbed me. So this is all within like three seconds. They swing me around, hit me in a or smack my head into a support stanchion, split my head open. So now I'm like. Not unconscious, but just stunned and can't, yeah. you know, pouring blood out of my head. 
and the bouncer grabs me from behind. I realized later it was the bouncer, not one of the other guys. It's a huge plate glass window in the front of the place. I'm like, in my head, I'm going, I'm going to be the guy from those movies who goes flying through the plate glass window. And it never works out like it does in the movies. Oh, you would be cut to shreds if you if you did something like that. It's not just, and then on your back. <laughs> right. I mean, if you just threw me on my back on the cement, I'd be <laughs> fucked for a week. But luckily he did not. He just threw me out on the street because he didn't want any blood on the floor in the bar. And uh, so then, you know, I'm, I'm bleeding, an ambulance comes, they take me to the hospital i get all i got like 13 stitches in my head where do i can't even see the scar uh no it's, it's on the top it's okay. like under my and I, and I don't think it's that big anymore um yeah. because it was a long this was in 1947 so this is a long time ago um but uh but so then we go back there's a there's literally a police station right across the street from the bar so we go back to this police station it's five in the morning they've taken witness statements from everybody at the bar yeah and I go into the police station, fucking head bandaged. I look like the little drummer boy from the revolution. And uh, I'm like, I want to I'm like, I want to press charges against these guys. And the cops like, well, they said that you guys were harassing the girls they were with all night. So and the girls agreed with them. So you guys are, you know, it's their word against yours. And you're going to. And it was like, we were, we were literally walked in and got in a fight. Like, how could we have harassed? Yeah. Not, not that I'm above, you know, I love harassing the shit out of girls that I don't know. Yeah, it's one of my favorite It's totally lives. my thing. Dude, um, catcalling? Yeah. I can't believe that became a thing. What are you doing with those dudes, baby? <laughs> Get a my, real man. That's exactly. What fucking human being questions the choice of a woman right. in front of the man? Mm-hmm. Like, what fucking, oh my God. So it was very frustrating, and that's why I say for years after that, I was like, because everybody just lied. And that's, you know, that was when I really sort of realized that's what you do in a bar fight is you just lie about what happened, and yeah. then it becomes, well, he said this, but you said this, and then there's no way to get to the truth, you know? That's fucking infuriating. Oh, I guess now probably places would have, like... Cameras. Cameras and stuff. Now, things know? have changed drastically. Yeah. Like, and I, I think, for, for the good, probably... I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I've always lived my life a little bit like someone's watching me. Because mm-hmm. when I was in college, I got written up as the number one party animal in the country, and I said a bunch of things to uh, a magazine, uh, a magazine and a television I was number show. 864. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still top thousand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was up there. You know. um, that's a blue chip, that's a was, blue chip recruit. <laughs> I was in the majors, you know. <laughs> and uh, I said something to some magazine, and ever since, and then they used it, and it was very, it was like, very telling. It was like uh, whatever. I told the guy, I go, this is off the record. And nice. Yeah, so that didn't work. And so cut to, uh, I remember being humiliated and feeling horrible. And uh, my dad said, you never, you're not, that, that'll never happen in your life ever again. Now that this article did come it out, once. Because you, you need to be cognizant of how you are representing yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. And even like, I'm sure I've told this story before, but I got, have you ever done Acme, or not Acme, um, House of Comedy in the Mall of America? No. Um, in Minnesota? Yeah. No. There's a fucking, there's a hotel attached to the mall and you got to walk through the mall, but sometimes the hotel door closes and you got to walk out of the mall and then around through the garage and to the very front door of the hotel, which is a pain in the ass. Uh-huh. So I go to the door, it's closed, and I hit the button <clears> and the guy <throat> says, can I help you? I said, yeah, can you open the doors? And he goes, are you handicapped? And I was like, No. Like think and like define handicap. Yeah, and he goes, "Well, I can't open it if you're not handicapped." 
And then I go, oh, okay, yeah, I'm with a guy in a wheelchair. But by the way, I'm with nobody. Uh-huh. And he goes, no, you're not. I said, no, I really am. I'm with a guy in a wheelchair and a blind guy. And he goes, <laughs> I don't believe you. I said, I'm being that serious. And I go, dude, talk to him. So then I like get lower to the nice. call button, and I'm like, hey, man, can you let us in? And I'm doing characters. I can't see you, but I'd appreciate it if you let me in. <laughs> and so he goes, I'm not doing it, man. I don't believe you. Mm-hmm. So then I walk around to the fucking front. I walk out of the mall to the front of the thing. I walk in, and it's the guy behind the desk. And he goes, are you, are you the guy with the blind guy in the wheelchair? And I said to him, I go, yeah, where are they? Because I, I, guess, I guess I got stuck in the mall, man. And I put it on him. Uh-huh. I was like, not cool, man. Now they're in the mall, and there's a guy in a wheelchair and a blind guy that are just fucking meandering in the mall. I was like, dude. And I was hammered, by the way. So uh-huh. I go to my room. The last day, like I'm checking out on Monday morning, and it's him again. All the guys are laughing by the thing. And the guy goes, you know we have video. Like we can watch you doing that. Like we, and I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, we, we've been watching you do your characters. And I was like, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I was like, don't let that video go out. Cause, like, but then... That's the only thing that sucks about this viral video. Is like, yeah, I'm sure it would be probably nothing but good for my comedian. Career. Does characters outside door of of, and then in my head I'm like, let's get in front of this. I'll start <laughs> talking about this on stage. <laughs> but I, I don't know. What did you when did you when did you start doing stand up? I started doing stand up in '98. Did you start doing stand up or improv first? Improv. I had been doing improv since. <laughs> 47. Uh, no, I started doing improv in 1989, actually. Uh, in college? No, after college. It was like right after I graduated from college. I graduated in 88. In New York? I started in New York. Uh, At UCB? No, it was. this was long before UCB came to town. I actually started with a group uh, called Falling Rock Zone, which was out of Yonkers, New York. Really? Um, yeah, I had no... I, I was like, I'm going to be a comedian, but I had no idea... Yeah. how to do it or what that entailed you know so for like four years i worked with this short form improv group uh and we would perform maybe once a month you know and that's not the way to sharpen your instrument <laughs> um so finally finally i just start i decided to start my own thing so i i like booked a theater in the city and i got i actually put an ad in backstage uh and got a bunch of people to perform with me and did a thing that ran for two months, and out of that, I was hired into a group called Chicago City Limits, which was an off-Broadway show in New York, and I got into their national touring company, and I spent the next four years touring the country with them, um, and then it was like right at the end of that time, so like 96, when uh, UCB came to town, and I started studying with them, and then in 98, I started doing stand-up on my own. I was the reason I started doing stand up really was because I got to the point where I was like I'm really I'm I'm really good at improv, but when people come to see improv shows, it's very hard to go. I mean it's not impossible, but you don't always go like, "Oh, that one guy was really great yeah. and everybody else was lucky to be on stage with him." Whereas part, part of your job as an improv is to make not everybody else look good. Yeah. yeah, make everyone look good. Yeah, which not everybody is good at, but you know, um, I like to think I am good at that. And That's why I was never good at improv. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I mean, I'm, stand-ups have a really hard time. You know, I have a really hard time with improv because yeah. I literally, I want to be the funniest yeah. person. So I got to that point where I was like, I got to do this so I can just be on stage by myself and I'll take all the credit and all the blame. And uh, yeah, so I so I did that. Sweet. When you first did stand-up, were you just like, I'll just wing it? No, no, no. I took a class actually. Really? Yeah. Where? Um, the guy's name, God, I don't remember his name, Steve, 
something or other in the city. Yeah. And uh, it, it was, you know, I always tell people don't take a class as a stand-up. It's not worth it. Take, you know, improv classes and sketch classes are great. That was the big debate um, that I'm sure you were abreast of when um, the Kyle Cease thing do you remember that? Yes. And 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 was it Matt Besser? Yes, it they, was. You're right. I forgot yeah. about that. Yep. You're, you're buddies with Besser, right? I am. Yeah. yeah. And Besser was like, was like, and Kyle Steve's like it's the same as improv. It's not the same as improv. It's not at all the same. I I, I, I believe that. I, I believe. Yeah. I think I agree with you. Stand up classes, I believe, are pointless. Yeah. If it's the way that you need to get into stand up, that's what it was for me. Was, then that's was fine. going into a classroom. It was like an open mic, except you were paying more money than you would at an open mic. Yeah. And what it got me was, I think the class was like two weeks long or three weeks, twice a week for three weeks. So I did six open mics, basically. I came out of it going, I am 50 times better than any of the people that are doing this. Yeah. So I should go off and start doing real open mics and doing, you know, trying to get booked shows and blah, blah, blah. So. It was what I needed because I, you know, one of the reasons I stayed doing improv for so long, I think, you know, is is the fear of being alone on stage and being the only one. It's kind of responsible. I would, I would love to be good at. I mean, I'm I'm good at improv, but I'm bad at being in an improv group troupe. Like I'm I'm bad at the. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm like a I'm a scene stealer and I'm a line stealer. Uh-huh. Like if the line's out there, I won't. I'll, I'll run and grab. I would have a lot of microaggression against you if you were in my improv. <laughs> I would be very. I'd be interested to take an improv. I'd be class. like, what were you thinking when you did that thing? Maybe I should. This December, <laughs> I'm staying all December in LA. Oh The yeah. whole month, I'm not working at all. Maybe I should take like an improv class. I think you'd enjoy, think I'd it. enjoy it. Yeah, it'd be fun. It would be soccer because I like fun, not fun for your classmates, but oh, I, yeah, I like I like improving on stage a lot. Like uh-huh. I love improving on stage, but. To me, that's a t- you're talking about when you're doing stand-up. I love not having anything to, to talk about. To me, that's a totally different muscle. Like People always go like, well, you've taken so much improv. You must be able to use that in your stand-up all the time. And I always feel like it's like saying, well, you, you know, you've played so much basketball. That must really help you with your baseball. Like It's two totally different things to me. Really? Yeah. So exp- define the muscles if you can. Um, Improvising with other people is like really listening to what they're saying and reacting to it and making it make sense. Whereas I feel like when you're improvising as a stand, I mean, I guess part of it is when you're doing crowd work, really listening to people and reacting to yeah. it and, and trying to come up with stuff. So in that sense, there is a similarity, but I just feel like it's, you know, to me, it's more when you're doing stand-up, coming up with funny things on the spot out of, yeah. you know, off the top of your head, which is just a different skill as far as I'm concerned. It's, um, yeah, no, it could, th- this is going to sound silly, but like, could you take an improv class and learn anything from it right now? Could I? Yeah. Probably. I probably could. Um, like, is taking an improv class like taking tennis lessons? Uh, like you're always, it's you're still practicing, so you're just getting better. I think, yeah, I think it would just make you go back to check your your fundamentals and go, am I really practicing what I have been preaching for twenty years? You know, because yeah. I I always felt I haven't taught improv in a couple of years, but I always felt when I was teaching improv, it was really helping me with my improv because I was like thinking about it a lot and explaining why I felt the way I felt about what people were doing. Yeah, and then I would apply that. It's, on stage. it's the same with stand up when you're on the road and you're working with a feature and you can see his lazy habits mm-hmm. 
and you pull them aside and you go, hey, listen, I'm just giving you a heads up. Like the stuff you're doing is it does it is killing, mm-hmm. but you're not getting stronger from it. Right. And then you start going, hmm. Oh, now, it when you're talking about that, are you talking about a feature that you're bringing with you or no. somebody that's there? Someone that's there? Yeah. Someone that's there or someone that someone that I've brought people with me that I've given advice. There's this guy, Aaron Kleiber, who is very funny, mm-hmm. but like, and he was destroying. And I told him, I said, you're getting into a lot of bad habits. Like you're, it's because there is this, there is this mindset as a, as a feature on the road is if I kill hard enough, I'll get to be a headliner. I'll be, they'll make me a headliner next year. Mm-hmm. And that's, this never happens. Right. There's so many things that go into being a headliner right. that have nothing to do with being fucking funny. That, that so little of it, so many clubs have never even seen the headliner that's coming to their club do stand up. Right. And, and I just was like, you're going about it the wrong way. The right, the right way to do it, if you want to go about being a good feature, f- uh, find a guy you can work with who um, you like his stand-up, and you do your thing, but then help him with his stand-up too. Right. Like like uh, like Matt Fultron and I travel a lot, and he'll like sometimes like if I'm improving on stage, he'll just sit in the back and have a beer and listen to me. It's not mm-hmm. like it's, I mean, he can't go anywhere anyway. Like what's he going to do? Go for a walk? And so just listen to me, and if I say something new or something funny in a way I haven't done it, he'll like pull me aside and write it down right. and just be like, hey, just give me a heads up. You said that differently. And then you go, wow, you're valuable to me in a weird way. Like as opposed to going out and just fucking destroying and being like, okay, great. Now I got to – I mean right. – I, 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 haven't, I haven't done a lot of road work, and I yeah. certainly haven't done a lot of road work as a headliner. Like I would say only maybe one or two or three times – but I did for four or five months tour as a feature with Mike Birbiglia, and that was exactly what it was: is that I would just sit and watch him, and then we would talk about his set afterwards. Yeah. And he and he would give me stuff on my set too. What was also funny was when we did that, we would show up somewhere, you know, and so we'd be there like Wednesday to Sunday, right? So first show Wednesday night, local uh, uh, MC would go up, and after that show, Mike would say, "Look." He'd go to the club and say, look, let's just have Sean do half an hour and then I'll do my thing. Because all those guys were just the worst. It was, it is, it's really, it, you know, it's that's like low, low, lowest common denominator comedy across the boards. It's what they, what it is, is they want, they want to do well in front of um, good or well. They want to do well. They want to do well in front of Berbiglia and you. Mm-hmm. So they want to destroy. But they're doing like eating pussy and yeah. like, you know, and it's just like that doesn't fit. I mean, that doesn't, doesn't fit, fit the night. what Mike is doing, yeah. you know. Not that I'm sure Mike doesn't occasionally enjoy pussy snacks, <laughs> you know. He just keeps it on the DL. <laughs> I don't fucking he doesn't he doesn't make his show about that. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's one of those things where you just go like, oh man, if you had just paid a little bit of attention, mm-hmm. you could have you could have had a great week. Just yeah. go up and do a tight five, tight ten. That's smart. Do the stuff that you're working right, on, right? Because what it does is it fucks up the whole show in a sense by setting that as the bar at the yeah. top of the show. Yeah, I think you know uh, maybe that's what fucking comedy classes should be is is it only for working comics. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, come in. You, you get you. All you got to do is uh, buy a beer or something for the comic, and you just get like a headliner to come in and like like David Tell sat me aside. I'm, I'm certain I probably told this, but 
I'll tell it again. So like right you when, haven't told it to me, Bert. I, yeah, I know, but I feel I always get self conscious. Uh huh. Um, I right when we had Georgia, I got a I got offer. We were I was broke. I had no money. I, t- I had this conversation with Leanne yesterday. I had no money, and I had uh, Aaron from the Improv offered to fly me to um, to uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and back to Miami for three weeks in a row, and I would make seven hundred bucks a week, and. Um, my agent was waiving his percentage and my manager was waving his percentage so that I could get like some money because I uh-huh. just had a kid. Right. And the weeks were Louis C.K., David Tell, and Daniel Todd. Featuring each time. I was featuring for all of them. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked at the Tell and I, I'm, Tell's been the, the fucking top of the mountain for me my entire career. He's amazing. He's the, he's the best comic alive, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And all I wanted him to do was say, you're funny. That's it. No, you know, it's a very big deal. And some guys are very, like, stingy about saying that. You yeah. know, there's a lot of guys won't tell you you're funny. Yeah. There's, and and maybe it's, maybe, let me rephrase that. Maybe I'm not funny and a lot of guys haven't said it to me. But there are guys that I just go, well, that's interesting. I say it to fucking everybody. I, like, no, I, I, I yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about that because I, I have a very specific memory of you. You and I, I don't know if you remember this. You and I auditioned for something together years ago at VH1 and I eventually booked it and then was immediately fired after they started shooting it. And then I, di- I didn't see you for like Never two the years. Cars. Yes. Yes. I didn't see you for like two years, and I ran into you in a Starbucks out here, and you were like, dude, I got to tell you, you were so fucking funny in that audition. God damn it, you were. <laughs> which, I, which I was like, that was so fucking cool. No, like, but you were, and I, and I was – and by the way, uh, the other person that got it was um, – Daphne. Daphne Brogdon. Uh-huh. And they replaced you with um, Matt Price. My, Matt Price, mm-hmm. and uh, and that I remember doing that audition and going, "Oh, I wouldn't be. I'm I'm not the." But what's funny is looking back at it when I was fired or right before I was fired because we shot like a test episode. Yeah, and I know exactly why it didn't work out because when I was doing the audition with you, I was just loose and fucking around in the room. Yeah, when I got on the show. I was writing all these jokes, but then there were other writers on the show who were my friends who were also writing jokes. So I was trying to get everybody's jokes in, including my own, oh, which was yeah. like, no, serve yourself in that situation. Don't worry that, about what the writers. Been, what would have been good for you? Because I ended up doing two episodes of it. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know what the fuck I was talking about. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. What's, what, what's fascinating about this is I had done... Um, I could not do what you were doing in that room because mm-hmm. I couldn't think that quick. Right. And I didn't understand how you were thinking that quick. And well, but what's funny is when they were they, – before they fired me, this executive came to my dressing room before the second episode, which was really the first episode, the first real episode that we were going to shoot. And he goes, he goes, Sean – and see, he – VH1 didn't hire me. I was hired by the production company. So VH1 was just getting to know who I was. And, yeah. he's, and he was like, Sean, look – we need you to be like a fun guy who's having fun at a party. And I was like, Fred, his name was Fred. I said, Fred, I'm not a fun guy having fun at a party, even when I'm a fun guy having a fun at a party. <laughs> and he was like, well, just do what you can. So thinking back on that, I'm like, that would have been perfect for you. Oh, yeah. You know? uh, well, I ended up, those were the two funniest things i've ever done on television really ever and they were really good for my not getting the job was tough on me because uh-huh. i thought i thought i'm perfect for this and then i went into the room you would have been perfect and, for it and but you were so much 
you were visibly funnier than everyone. Oh, thanks. And I remember that, and I went, oh, and I remember walking out going, I fucked that up. And then I, and, and I was like, I was like, I didn't fuck it up. I just couldn't hang. Uh-huh. Like, I didn't know how to hang. And I remember thinking about that. And they were like, you did a, they called me back. They're like, you did a great job. It's just you're not the right guy for the show. We need a guy who's an improv guy who can bounce off other people. Mm-hmm. And I went, okay. And so, and I'd done TV, enough TV before that I was comfortable doing TV. And they said, we'd love to have you back to do one, an episode. Great. And because I knew, I knew Marin and, uh, right. and so, and I knew da- and I knew Daphne. I'd worked with Daphne. Uh-huh. Daphne had worked on, a, on another show with me before that. And so I show up to the thing and Marin pulls me in his dressing room. He's like, give me everything you got on, on Daphne. You got to tell me everything. And I was like, I was like, why? He's like, she's driving me up the fucking wall. <laughs> and I was like, really? And then I knew Price because I knew I knew Jason Nash. So I talked to Price, and then I go down. It is the it is. By the way, is I go down and I and I didn't see you, and I went, wait, what happened? And they're like, he got fired. I talked to Kurt Metzger about it. I go, he he goes, he got fired. I go, why? He was like, I have no fucking idea. Yeah. Like it, and so. But I, I know why. Also, what's funny is years later, Marin was like. Like, literally within the last couple of years, Marion was like, just so you know, I had nothing against you. I had nothing to do with you being fired. And so yeah. immediately now I'm going to torture him every time I see him and go, you got me fired, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he, so I go on, and it was, it was interesting because there were so many notes given to Price and Daphne. Oh, there was God. so much heavy lifting given to them mm-hmm. that they were having a very hard time being funny because mm-hmm. they were trying to remember everything to do. Right. And I didn't have to do anything. And I remember thinking. So you could of, just fuck around. And I thought that's how you handled the audition. Right. Is that you just fucked around. And I went, went, oh, you know what? The better of this job is being the guy that gets to fuck around. And in that thing, they did – so one of the things they did was – I'm going to get the guy's name exactly Mm -hmm. because they would – it's called Nevermind's Buzzcocks. It was a, a game show, but it was like celebrity game show. So it was like kind of weird. It was like, a weird show. It was a weird show, but it was very successful in the, in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. And so they'd bring out a celebrity that no one has seen in a very long time. Right. The guy for us was the lead singer of Loverboy. So, uh, no idea. So they put four guys. I'm going to find Loverboy. I'm going to find Mike Reno was his name. <laughs> of course so, it was. Uh, they said. Good old Mike. They said, uh, we got to figure out which one's Loverboy. And so they're all standing there, four guys. One of them's Mike Reno, three are not. Mm-hmm. We don't know what Mike Reno looks like anymore. Right. And they're all standing there, and they're like, uh, Daphne's team, you guys get to go first. And they're like, um... I, and they're, what they're doing is they're assessing him. They're like, my, well, you figure Loverboy was in... They were big in 86. How old so, are these guys? How old are these guys? Yeah. This guy looks too old. All this right. guy looks too young. Well, you figured he partied a lot. So look at their eyes. Look at their eyes. None of it's funny, So they right? really were like fun people right. having fun at a party. And, and yeah, it was not... It was, it was, hor- <laughs> it was not... None of it's funny. Mm-hmm. And, and the guys are all kind of looking off at the audience as if they're in a lineup and they can't make eye contact with right, us. Right. And I go, guys, we're going about this the wrong way. <laughs> and... They're like, really? I go, yeah, watch this. I go, hey, Mike. And one guy turned his head. <laughs> and, and I, I, it got the biggest fucking laugh. And I, and I, and, and I fucking made it to the next, I like, and I picked Mike. And I go, that's Mike Reno. And we win. So the executives come up to me and they're like, hey, can you stay one more day and shoot another episode? Nice. And I was like, I felt so redeemed in the fact that I was like, okay, I figured out how to be funny on TV. Don't be prepared. You were, like, uh, you were like the Nazis at the end of The Great Escape. What was that? Do you ever see that movie with Steve McQueen? No. 
Oh, okay. It's a great movie. It's the movie where he's locked up in the cooler with the ball, bouncing the ball against the wall. It's the one where he jumps the barbed wire fence on a motorcycle. Yeah. But all these English guys escape from a German POW camp, and they're getting away. They're getting away. They all split up. They're going to different parts of Nazi Germany. They're getting away, and two guys are on a bus. They both speak fluent German, and they the Nazis come on the bus, and they're like speaking to them in German, you know, Let's see your passport documents, and they have fake documents. They give them to him, whatever. The Nazis are satisfied. They start to walk away. And then one of the Nazis turns back and says in English and goes, have a nice trip or something like that. And the guy goes, thank you. And they're like, we got you. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I did. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was uh, – that was uh, – that was – the because I just gotten, they, I'd been on a show that got canceled. I then had a pilot that didn't get picked up, mm-hmm. and then I had I had bombed on an on a on a on a showcase, uh-huh. and I and I went out for this was like the next thing, and I didn't get it, and I and I was and I was visibly bad. And the things I learned from that was don't like my ego is bruised because mm-hmm. I, I remember I in the room I remember in the room doing this. I remember I I remember. Vis- you started crying. I remember that. I, I remember looking at you with my mouth open, going, "How the fuck is he doing this?" Like you're so natural, you're so confident, and I was like, and I'm, I was auditioning. I wasn't having fun. I was auditioning. Uh-huh. Right, right. That's the key. Is yeah. like if you're auditioning, you're fucked. If you're just doing it, and that's literally that's the only that audition was the only time I've ever felt like that in an audition ever. You murdered it, and I and I remember thinking, I remember running into you and thinking. This whole time, I failed. And I went, no, 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 no. That guy just fucking killed. Mm-hmm. I need to celebrate how fucking good he is and take a look at it and go, how do I apply that to my life? I, n- I, st- I haven't until recently, I'm being uh-huh. dead serious, ever applied that to my life. I was a guy that would go into an audition and I, would, I was really bad at – if I could go back and start this career all over again and I'd give advice to a guy coming in, do it your way from day one. Right. Fuck whatever Don't you think. Don't care. Don't think whatever the fuck the casting director's looking for. Right, right, right. Because if you do what the casting director's looking for, you'll be doing that for fucking five years. Right. You'll be doing an impression of what the casting directors would have liked. I, and I, I really fucked up a lot. Well, and what was great about me getting that job was that it was like, that was my first thing that I really booked. So it was my big break. My career was really on the way then, you know? Yeah. And I was teaching at UCB and I had to go to all my classes and say, I'm really sorry, you guys, but I've gotten my big break, so I'm going to be taken off. I'm in show business now. Like Kevin Meany, I'm, I'm going to be on Saturday I'm, 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 Live next you know, year. And then immediately fired and was like, uh, could I f- come back and teach the rest of those classes? You How know? did they fire you? Uh, oh, that's actually a funny story in and of itself. First of all, we taped that episode, and I come off stage, and nobody's around. Like, the hallways are empty in the studio. And what I found out later was that Sebastian Bach was getting everybody high. But there already must have been something in the air. Like, you know how there's, like, the one guy, and everybody's like, I don't know if this guy's going to, I don't know. And then, so then you don't want to be around that guy. He's like the Jonah yeah. on the ship, you know? Yeah. So I must have already been the Jonah on the ship. So I come off stage. There's nobody around. I just was like, okay, I guess I'll go home. So I went home. That was on Saturday. Sunday morning, my manager at that time was Carrie Hoffman, the owner of Of Stand Stand Up Up New York. York. I Uh, always mix mix him up with Jeff Singer. (laughs) Well, very, very different uh, temperaments. But uh, Carrie, of course, better known for his Frank Sinatra impersonation than for his managing skills. (laughs) So... 
So I have this experience on Saturday. It feels really weird to me. And if it feels ar- weird, it is weird. And they've already said, like, we need some of this from you. We need you to do more of this. So yeah. I know there's something up. So Carrie, on Sunday morning, I'm not home, calls and leaves me a message. And his message is this. You know, and Carrie is like, a, as he himself says, he's like, I'm an old Jew from Queens. So he sounds kind of like Jackie, uh, what's that guy's Jackie name? Jackie Mason. Jackie Mason, yeah. yeah. He's, like, he's like, Sean, it's Carrie Huffman. I have terrible news for you. Terrible, terrible news. But I don't want to leave it on your machine, so please call me back as soon as possible. <laughs> so... So I knew, I knew immediately, like, I knew what it was. In your head, you're like, please say he has cancer. Please say he has cancer. Please say he has cancer. Is it me or you? It's like, what is he going to think that I'm going to think it is? Like, I found out your mother is dying. Like, you know. I have terrible, terrible, terrible news. (laughs) But I don't want to leave it on your machine. (laughs) It was so great. Um, So then you called and he just said, yeah, you're fired? Yeah, that was it. That fucking sucks. Yeah. Uh, that they, I, I did an episode with Sebastian Bach. I ended up getting high with Sebastian Bach. Of course, I ended up getting. Uh, Tiffany was on that episode, and so was Joey McIntyre, Amber Thiessen. No, Tiffany. Oh, Tiffany, just Tiffany. Tiffany, Tiffany, and Joey McIntyre. Let the music play, or what was her? Let the music play. Was that her? I don't know. We'll get was. away. Yeah. Um, and Sherrod Small, me, <laughs> Sherrod, Sherrod Small, me, Joey McIntyre. Sebastian Bach and Tiffany and Molly Cleaver, Molly Culver. She might have been on the one before. I don't know. And like is. hanging around Molly Culver. She was on uh, Pam Anderson's uh, spy VIP VIP. Uh-huh. And she and Molly, Molly Culver is still friends with Daphne Brogdon to this day. Oh, really? Which yeah. means you're still friends with Daphne. If you know that uh, Daphne Brogdon has a show on cooking on cooking called Daphne's Dishes. And I uh, used to hook up with Daphne. Oh, there so you go. I hooked up with Daphne. Was Daphne was my Daphne was my experience of uh, don't shit where you eat. Uh-huh. We were on a TV show together. We hosted it together, and we the I mean like literally while the show week. while you were doing the show you hooked up uh, well, first week. Uh, yeah, that's a so, bad idea. So we started hooking up right away mm-hmm. and like spend the night at each other's houses and and it was like and literally and then and then we started I started hooking up with someone else like we started not hooking up and then we but we still it was very bad the show was weird it was very weird and then everyone <laughs> wanted to play this sexual tension and and it didn't work well and uh and but i, I still and that's gonna be a movie with will ferrell in it coming soon <laughs> yeah and so but i don't know how we got on this anyway it's, you were gonna uh, tell me about what a tell said to you a tell took you aside and said that. it's no it's a boring story no no no. i want to hear it because no. i actually i actually like to hear those kind of things uh a tell said to me at the thing at, at the I first walk in, we do two shows Thursday, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, two shows Sunday. He's selling out like crazy. Mm-hmm. It's the height. I'm sure I, there's been higher points, but the, this it, is during. It uh, is on the massive way up during Insomniac. Insomniac, right? And so, and I just been on Last Comic Standing uh-huh. uh, two. I just been profiled, and so I and that was when like 13 million people watched that. Mm-hmm. So I go out back when TV was TV. Fuck. 
And so I go out. I went, when are networks just going to go, hey, guys, we lost it? I think they've already done that to a certain extent. Like, why even cancel anything? Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. to put it all up there like the internet. Do it with TV. We got four people last night, so <laughs> we're doing well. It's better than none. Yeah. We, we started leaving a comment section. You should, <laughs> you should hear the way I've deconstructed making TV oh, to, really? like, just make it the lowest common denominator so that fucking just stick around. Just watch. Please just mm-hmm. watch. I swear to God, I'll eat a goat stick. Like, um... <laughs> so this fall on NBC, David Tell says, "I go out the first show. I come out, and people know who I am. So I'm I'm already murdering, like, right. and I'm doing a lot of the jokes that I'd done on the show, which is a big deal. Like, and so I do like fifteen destructive. Get off stage. He's like, how are they? And I said, they're they're great. And he's like, okay. And I was like, you're gonna fucking do great. So he goes on. He, he murders. Comes off. Doesn't say anything. Second show, I go on. I do it even tighter, faster, harder. I get off and he goes. I go. He goes. How are they? I said they're great. He's like, okay, you're gonna fucking kill. Go out. He doesn't even hang out. He doesn't even speak to me. He just leaves. Goes to his hotel room. Next more Next day, come in. I'm like, I'm gonna fucking destroy. He's gonna. He's gonna have to say. He's gonna have to hear the laughter and say, you're funny. Mm-hmm. So we come out. I do, I do it. Literally that 15 minutes. I do it in like f- fucking 14, 50. Not. I mean, it's so perfect. Come off and he's like, time wise, okay. it's yeah, perfect. Like and destroying, <laughs> and he goes, "All right, we get it. You're funny. Now, how about you tell a new joke?" And I'm like, "What?" And he goes, "I've been watching all your fucking shows, and it's like the same shit. Is that what you're gonna do?" And I was like, "No." He's like, "Do you have more material? Is that it? Is that all you got? Like real like?" And I was like, "No, I've got a microaggression." He goes, he's like, "Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you tell the other jokes too?" He's like, "Are you just are you scared?" And I was like, "No." And he's like, "Can you write?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, and then he goes on stage, destroys, and I and I go and watch him, and I realize he hasn't been doing the same act every time at all. Let alone has he been doing the same joke the same way. He's finagling jokes and he's reworking jokes and he's putting different tags at the different ends and he's working his set. I get off and he's like, "Can I give you some advice?" And I was like, "Please." He's like, "You're funny, but if you're just going to do the same act over again, I'll, I'm not going to watch you because if you'd like to write and work on your craft, I'll watch you and then." You know, we can talk about it. And I was like, that's all I want. That's all I fucking want mm-hmm. is you to accept me and tell me some ideas about what I'm doing wrong. And he's like, he's like, you're never going to get this opportunity again to travel around and and no one gives a fuck how you do. Right. I said, what? And he goes, no one cares. Feature. He's like, no one's watching you. Mm-hmm. You're not going to lose the job. As long as I say you stay, you stay. Right. You're not going anywhere. So how about you write? And I was like... Yeah, and so I literally looked at featuring that day 100% different, and all I would do is write featuring. And it was like I featured for a full year after that, and at the end of the year I started headlining. And and you were ready. And I was, and when I started headlining, I was like, oh, I probably wasn't totally ready. Mm-hmm. But like I w- at the end of the year, I was like, oh, my God. I c- and now I learned how to write on stage, and now I know how to – and it was like the best advice ever given to me. And I was like – and the but it's amazing. Like David Tell would say one joke that he liked, and I would – as soon as he said that, I was like, I'll be saying that every fucking show for the rest of my fucking life. Right. It was a joke. Uh, I just watched Beat Street, and uh, when I was a kid, I watched Beat Street, and – so I thought that's what I'll do is I'll tag. I'm going to take part of that movie and incorporate it into my gated community. Mm-hmm. So I got a can of spray paint and then right where it said Faircloth Estates, I just shook it up and went, and I'm, I'm out writing my name. And then I go, fuck, I'm the only Bert in this neighborhood. <laughs> and so I wrote under it, sucks, dick. And, and Atel's like, that's a great joke. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, really? And I told it every fucking time I right. go on stage. I don't know. Yeah, but I feel like that's, I mean, you know, that's something I've never, I've never 
really done. I did that, like I said, I was with Probiglia for four or five months, and I did that to a certain extent during that time. Yeah. But to have that opportunity, that's where you really grow as a comic. And, you know, I mostly do shitty bar shows around L.A., and it's really hard in a seven-minute set. Um, And I also, you know, my own ego gets in the way because I'm like, I can't not do well in front of these people when really what your attitude should be is like, who cares? I'm not getting paid. They're not paying to see the show. Who cares? But you always have that in your head. You have that lottery ticket feeling of like, what if? Right. What if Will Ferrell's there? Right. And he just comes up and he's like, you know, I got a movie. You're fucking hilarious. Right. That's the thing that fucking sucks about L.A. Yeah. Is that yeah. there is this, like, I go up one night and I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I'm, it's a sold out show. And I'm like, I do not give a fuck. Uh-huh. And it's at the improv. And I'm like, I'm going to fuck around and I'm going to do all new jokes. And that's what this heart's about. And I'm literally like, good. So I got my notebook out, and I'm like cr- flipping through it, and fucking Steve Byrne walks up behind me. He's like, uh, do your A shit. And I was like, what? And he's like, Vince Vaughn's in the audience. I'm like, <laughs> the one guy you want to impress. Like, right. it, for me, I really think his... Well, and you always want to impress Steve Byrne. Yeah. <laughs> I want Steve to... Steve Byrne took me on the road a couple times when I was first starting out. He was very nice to me. Really? Yeah. Steve's... Very Steve's... different types of acts. <laughs> very, yeah. <laughs> Steve's a really sweet guy, and he yeah. really does... He really does, like, like want he wants people to fuck he like wants to share the road with people right i'm like that sometimes but he like, scared me though because he would be driving and then he'd also be looking through his giant volume of cds at the same time trying to decide what music to put on and i'd be like steve eyes on the road please <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to drop a microaggression but uh <laughs> would you want to do more road work um, I, I'm at the point now, I mean, yes, absolutely. And in fact, I have sort of this fantasy that I'm going to go on the road for like two or three months at some point in the next year or two. Um, the problem is now I've started writing for TV and yeah, making, you want to know a small, uh, for Mr. Pickles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am ho- hopefully working with a guy who an- did some animation for Mr. Oh, cool. Pickles. Um, we're doing an animated series for Comedy Central. Awesome. Not series. Let me rephrase that. We're doing some shit. Right. And so, but I, so I saw that and I, I like, it, part of his reel was a Mr. Pickles episode and I was fucking laughing. Which hysterically. episode? Do you remember? Uh, it's not even an episode. I'm sure it's just a sizzle. Clip, yeah. It's a clip. It's, uh, Mr. Pickles, then he fucking killed the thing I'm on. Like, it's mis- the craziest. It's like taking drugs watching that show. Tell everyone what it is. Uh, Mr. Pickles is a show for Adult Swim. It's an 11 and a half minute show, but we like to say that it's a, really a 22 minute show crammed into 11 and a half minutes. Because it moves quickly. It's so fucking fast. Um, but it's basically, it's, it's basically Lassie. I mean, Mr. Pickles is like Lassie. He's just a dog who lives with an all-American family. But what the family doesn't know is that Mr. Pickles uh, worships Satan and is a serial killer. So uh, he's always off up to some sort of mischief of murdering people. And the grandfather of the family knows that Mr. Pickles does all this stuff, but everybody just thinks the grandpa is just a senile, crazy person, so they don't listen I, to him. I love the way the I love the way this show is I guess edited is but it it's very that's one thing I said to him when I first talked to the guy. I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, dude, I love the transitions. Mm-hmm. Like it moves so quickly. Yeah, it it's seamless and it it's seamless in like uh, in like a perfect way. Mm-hmm. It really, Will, is. Will Carsola is one of the two creators, and he does all the the direction and the editing himself. You do you do a voice on there too, right? I do a bunch of voices. Yeah, yeah. I was the head writer, and um, what's great about that, aside from 
aside from being the fucking head writer of a TV show, is also <laughs> that when we are working on scripts in the room, you know, the script is up on the on the monitor. And I'm like, okay, let's read through the scene. And so I'll read through the scene out loud doing all the voices myself, like not casting it or anything. Yeah. So then if those guys, the two guys who created the show, hear a voice that I'm doing that they like, then they go, okay, we'll just have you do that in the show. So I've gotten to do a bunch of voices in the show, which is That's awesome. That's great. I always, really want, fun. I always think working for Adult Swim, uh, I used to have a friend who was a, uh, um, a guy that we partied with a couple times. He lived in Atlanta. Adult Swim's out of Atlanta, right? Yeah. He lived in Atlanta. I forget his name. It's a TNT, you know, Turner Broadcasting Company. Yeah. So. And he was, I've, we went, and we went. me, him, and this guy Chris Gillen went and watched um, Tim and Eric live mm-hmm. at like, on, on, at like the Palladium or in, right. in it was not the Palladium, it was uh, right near, um, my brain is fucking dead. It's on Santa Monica at like wherever Motley Crue used to do shows at. It was in that place. We went and watched them live. I've never seen Motley and Crue. And I want it's not Dan Pasternak, but it's someone like that. Uh-huh. And uh, I remember we were pitching a show called White Gorilla to him, an animated series about this silverback gorilla who moves to L.A. <laughs> to become an actor. And uh, he lives with a guy and it's just – and this and the White Gorilla does is completely oblivious to anything – like any anything that like that microaggressions, he he still doesn't understand racism. Uh-huh. So like he's he was he had to learn everything. So everything like the fact that he could walk and talk is fine, but he would literally like he meets his first black person uh-huh. and like so we ended up doing shorts for on it for Comedy Central. Cool. Um, but we pitched it to him and he was like, "Yeah, that's not weird enough for us." And I went, "Wait, a, a gorilla that lives there?" And he goes, "Can the gorilla live in a mustache?" <laughs> I remember going, "Huh." And he was like, well, it's interesting because Mr. Pickles, there's there's a lot of weird stuff on the show. Um, and I feel like me coming in, what I have really brought and tried to keep is a more grounded sense of reality so yeah. that the weirdness all kind of somehow makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I think that is that dynamic between what what the creators came up with this weird this dog who has a lair underground and has a a pet gimp that uh is dressed up in a leather you know gimp suit and barks like a dog and crawls around on all fours and this dog loves pickles for some reason and gets a pickle whenever he's a good boy um (laughs) and yet somehow it all sort of a little bit makes sense you know Um, did they bring you in did they bring you in and be like can you help us figure this out? Well, what happened was they made an 11-minute pilot for Adult Swim, and it did very well. And Adult Swim was like, let's try a 22-minute pilot. So these guys had never written anything like that before. Yeah. So they brought me in and a bunch of other people in to sort of, after they had written their their 22-minute pilot, to say, like, what what's working, what's not working, whatever. And ultimately, it just didn't it didn't pan out and adult swim was like let's stick with the 11 minutes but they asked me to come in and and run the show so that's great yeah it's been really fun it's been it's literally like one of the best things that's ever happened to me but what that's meant is when i'm working on that show it totally takes away from it takes up all your time not just stand up but improv like i i usually do ask cat every saturday and sunday night at ucb and i can't even do that because i'm working the good thing about adult swim is they pay less but you work more so i'm working like 12 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week for the time that we're, that we're writing that. Um, it's, if, it's, like the, it's like the Louis C.K. project. Mm-hmm. Like you have to do what you want. But 
you yeah. make sacrifices. You make sacrifices, but um, it's your it's your. But I have been talking about going on the road for a while. Like I have my own. We I have a podcast with a couple other people, and um, I've put it out there on the podcast, and people have been very generous because I, I could never. I'm not at the point where I could go like. I want to do all these improvs and all these funny, funny bones and all these, you know, because nobody knows who the fuck I am. But to do like a a DIY tour is sort of, I think, well within my reach. And I would not have a problem doing that. Like it wouldn't be a money making thing. It would just be I would like to get out there and really hone my next batch of material which i think you can only really do by going on the road for a while i think you have to, i think I, my feelings are for me it's it's interesting because you know there was always the there was always the group of comics that were like well yeah you could i'm gonna i'm gonna say this incorrectly by the way so if i start saying it incorrectly stop me mm-hmm. but meaning like if i'm literally using the actual wrong words okay but there were guys who thought well yeah stop <laughs> This is like uh, the UCB comics, the guys that did stand up at UCB couldn't go out and do the road uh, because they're insulated. Right. And then it's and, a different audience. It's and, 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 and that, Which is part partly true. It, it, Louis C.K. said it once. Why would I do stand up at UCB when I could go to do the road? I need strangers to laugh. Yeah. But here's the opposite of that. And this is what I'll say is that getting strangers to laugh forms a lot of very bad habits yes. that the UCB shakes out of you yes. instantly. Absolutely. So it's like finding the balance of those two things. Finding the balance and I and I believe and I wish that I was I wish I, number one I wish I was in LA more. Number two I wish I looked more um I wish I I wish I had maybe at a younger age spent more time there mm-hmm. so that I felt comfortable there to go right. do stand up there. That's right. also it. But I I you know honestly that's not <clears throat> out of the realm of possibility. Well, it's not out of the realm of possibility. You can totally get over there. But 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 I, but you're totally right about the insulation. Like I, Patton said that to me once uh, back in the green room. Like I was like, you know, same thing. I was like, what advice do you have for whatever? And he's like, he's like, you know, do these shows. They're great. You have fun. The audience loves you. Whatever. But then go do the improv. Go to the laugh factory. Go to the store because those are the places that will make your comedy bulletproof. Because Nobody knows you. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit who you are in those places. Yeah. And you have to be fucking funny when you go there. Well, you were like people go, well, it's easy. UCB darling. You earn that. Right. You don't get that just by hanging out in the green room. Mm-hmm. You earn it by going on stage. And the people that go there, the people that frequent there end up enjoying you. And you end up uh, you're allowed to take chances the same way I'm allowed to take chances when I say go to like D.C. because that's my market that I've been Best Is that at where you long- started? No, no, no. This no. just, just I randomly, th- not randomly. There's a radio show, Elliot in the Morning, that is the number one, probably the number one radio show. Uh, I'm gonna say, in like in a in a lot of markets, there's nothing like that anymore. No. It's, there's where you go in, you do his show, and you sell out all your shows because everyone fucking listens to Elliot. Right. There's Tampa, Philly. Um, DC, where that where that still exists. There's two uh, guys in the Midwest, isn't there? Bob and Tom. Bob and Tom. Bob and Tom. Uh, Bob and Tom's still like that. I think mm-hmm. it used to be ma- like. I mean, you did Bob and Tom. Like Tosh would fly out of his way to go do Bob and yeah. Tom. And he do. No, I mean, that's Mike Birbiglia was was big with those. Oh, Birbiglia, yeah, he did you my know? my private diver, diaries or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would redo diary readings. I mean, Birbiglia was Birbiglia is. I don't think gets the respect from comics mm-hmm. me i'm sure he does and i'm sure he doesn't give a fuck but like he really fucking came up with some very innovative ways to run his career oh he's he's a genius 
I he's really, a genius. Can I, can I mean, I, he's a super funny comic, but he's also brilliant at how to build a career. Can I tell you, if Mike Probiglia, if you're listening to this, can you come over to my house and just help <laughs> Give me? Give us some fucking, pointers. Just help me fucking guide it. Like, <laughs> if you were me, what would you do? Because like, I got some really great stories. How, like, I know yeah. Ira Glass. How come I'm not fucking making right. movies? Like, but like, but it's because his work ethic and mm-hmm. the way he looks at fucking the doing things. Yeah, he's just he really is like. He's, no, he's, he's amazing, an, and, it, and, it and, was... and he's fearless on stage. In that, if he's got a new story, he'll tell it. And if it doesn't work, okay, I'm gonna tell another one. Well, and what was really interesting, again, when I was on the road with him, was that he would start on Wednesday with like just some random observations related to stuff that yeah. he had just experienced, and then to stuff that was in his life. And by Sunday night, he would have a tight new 15 minutes of material that just came out of being in the moment on stage on wednesday night you know yeah. it was I, amazing I, I say to, i see to people people all the time anytime anytime anyone brings up anything sleepwalking i'm like well hold on you heard murder mike brickley's story <laughs> like there's no way to talk about sleepwalking and not go and not literally say have you seen his movie have you read his books have you had his you know like did you see his one man play with fucking yeah. on broadway did you see him on the view like he's uh he's very inspirational i'm one time i saw him uh, it, he was in Tampa, and I was happened to be in Tampa shooting something, and I walked in. I said, "I, re- I want to meet him." Like I didn't, I never met him. I mean, I met him in New York, like in passing, but I didn't. Like I never really. You know what? I think I was fucking there when that happened. I think you were. I think I was with because I definitely was in Tampa with him at the yeah. Tampa Improv once. And I, I think I, I yes, I yeah, I remember that. And I fucking rolled up, and I was like, and he was just so. He was so that I the way I wish I could be mm-hmm. like. There's so many things I'm. I'm not saying I'm a phony about things, but like, like if you walk in my house, if you walk into my green room and you're a comic, I'm like, oh hey man, what's up? How you doing? I'll like get out of my chair and be like, right, right. and then I'll put on a f- an act to make you feel comfortable. Right. When really, quite honestly, I'd rather just sit there and not and be comfortable enough with who I am to just go. He's very zen. Yeah. I walked in. I was like, hey man, I'm Bert. And he was like, hi. And I was like, I was like, I'm, a com- and by and by the way, I hadn't planned my sentences out. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I'm a comic, and he was like, Cool. Do you want to do a guest set? And I was like, No, no, no. I'm a comic. Like, <laughs> I just wanted to say hi. Like, I'm in town, and I was like, What the fuck am I saying? What am I? I should have <laughs> said, said what I wanted to say. Yeah. And he was just very like confused. He was like, Oh, and then it, and then it turned out my f- poster was next I remember to my that. face. Yes, yes. And I was like, I was like, That's actually me. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, good for you, man. And I was like, I was like, motherfucker! None of this worked out the way I thought it would. <laughs> and so I just walked out. I was like, I was. I watched his set, and then we had to shoot the next day, so I left. But, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, he's an inspiration. Like a lot of guys I know that have worked with him always come back. Like I got some good cigars down there in Tampa. I had some really good cigars. Yeah. I, I rolled my own. Oh, and really? Smoked one of my own, and a guy was like, "What do you want from it?" And I was like, "I want to feel it. I want to feel a buzz." Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Okay." And he rolled me the fucking stiffest, the strongest cigar, and we smoked it while rolling another one. And like nice. we, and he, so we just sat there like old Cubans. Just, just <laughs> is that microaggression? The uh, <laughs> what are you anyway? What uh, are you? I think a grassroots tour would be great. Who would you go with? Would you want to do? It with I like, don't know. That's what I have to figure out, and that's tricky for me because I'm like, there are so many people. Uh, you know, it's hard. I'm in this weird position where. People I came up with who are doing well are doing too well to ask them to do something like that. And then the people who I didn't come up with who are still coming up. And I'm like, I don't know who of those people. Yeah. A, I would trust to come with. B, I like their comedy enough. 
and C, I would want to spend that much time with. You know? I mean, but I think it's always like that. It's like it's always like that. Like I go, uh, I, I remember saying to someone, I was like, I want to do a tour bus tour, and they were like, that sounds fucking great. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. And then you say the names you want to do it with. I think it was like me, Tom Skura, Ari Shafir, Neil Brennan, and they're like, yeah, but none of us are really like selling like we're all selling kind of the same group of people right and i mean maybe a total little different but like none of us are selling <clears> theaters <throat> enough to warrant like this much money this a tour bus yeah and then and then someone's like well if we get you know rogan or bill burr on there i go yeah but then we're just taking their we're just taking money from them mm-hmm. because they could do it on their own and they don't need that and they don't need that yeah. we're like yeah what the fuck are we trying like it's really difficult to do where you get a group of people because you do have the people like you know that that are that you came up with that are above you, and you're like, well, those are my peers. Right. They just happen to be selling theaters on their own. Right. It's it's really it. It's been problematic. I tried to do it. I do this call and sick to work show, where I go in, I do radio from like seven to ten. I drink on radio, and then I go <laughs> right to the club and do a show at eleven. And oh everyone, God! And I tell on the radio, I'm like, everyone call and sick to work. Call and sick come to work right, right to the now. club. Go to the club. And so people That's literally hilarious. literally turn their car around. Go drive straight to the club. Day drinking. Clubs w- w- wide open at seven in the morning. Yeah. Start drinking, waiting for me to show up, and then I show up and we do it. It's that's brilliant. It's well, it's it's problematic. It's I'll unhealthy. It's there's a lot of people who, when they decide to quit, not go to work and start drinking, that is part of their personality. Right, 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 right. And so it's like fucking a shit show sometimes. Yeah, where it's like just people hammered, and then sometimes it's amazing. Uh-huh. Sometimes you get people waiting in line and they're fucking pumped up. And uh, and I was like, I want to do a call and sick to work tour. I want to do like 13 dates, start in Tampa, Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, Atlanta, like go all the way, work all the way up to D.C. Mm-hmm. and then end in D.C. And I was like, I want a tour bus. And like, I'm, but I'm like just drunk in my in my like in the man cave, like typing it out. I want a tour bus. I'm gonna. You know what? This is how. This is how it's done. The idea you above got your the little, comic. Uh, you got your little umbrella drink next to you while you're writing all this. Oh yeah. Oh, I used. Don't even fucking start. I used to. I, this is what a phony I am. I used to throw in a Hawaiian shirt when I'd write because I wanted to be like Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> fucking phony I am. And so I literally like. This is what it is. Tour idea concept above the talent. Concept first. Talent second. Don't go and say. Talent's going to sell the tour. The concept that will sell the tour. People right. hear the idea and go, well, that sounds fun. And so I start writing out the plan. I got it. I get Tom Skura, get Christina Pajinski, get Neil Brennan, get Al Madrigal. I started like, all right. And these guys don't have to do the whole tour. They hop on and off. They fly in when they can't. They can't do it. And the beauty is we don't do weekends because we only do Monday through Friday. No work on the weekends. Yeah. And I'm like, this is fucking great. And then I like call my manager and she's like, okay. Do you know how much a door bus costs? She's like, this is a horrible idea. She's like, you honestly, you could save money by Ubering. <laughs> and I was like, are you fucking serious? She's like, I'm not even joking. It would be less expensive for you to Uber your way to DC than to get a fucking tour bus. And I was like, I was like, well, well, there's an option. Yeah. So uh, the but, Uber tour, but yeah, the the Uber tour. But that's well, maybe that's not a bad idea. <laughs> but it's it's you're right about that. Is that it is hard to find talent. To do it no, I have a, I have a map at home. You know, when I when I've put this out on the podcast, people have emailed me and said I'd be interested in helping you. Whatever, you know, I'd love for you to come to where I am. It's not, you know, 
club owners or theater owners or yeah. anything like that. It's just like a group of guys in Bellevue, Washington or, or Bellevue, whatever. Washington is a great place to do stand-up. Yeah. Well, these guys, I got some fans up there, so and they're dying for me to come up there. But, you know, it's like figuring out, like you said, it's figuring out what's the hook. What's the thing that's going to sell people on coming to the show? Because what I wouldn't want to do... And it could easily turn into this. What I wouldn't want to do is go, I'll come up there and then go to, and, and I'm just in a bar with a group of people playing pool next to where I'm yeah. performing. And it's just like a basically a an open mic, except I'm there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there is, the, you know, there's a lot uh, to be said about the idea of doing these grassroots tours. You get a lot more money than doing the clubs. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, one-nighters in general are not a bad shake. Yeah. Like they really turn out and especially through podcasting, podcasting's really changed not only the dialogue between comics and fans, like comics and audiences, but like the concept of touring. I mean, and I keep saying Tom Segura, but like it's only because I'm really good friends with him. He his stand up like I don't I don't even know if he does clubs anymore. Oh really? Like he just is doing one nighters and he's doing them at rock venues where people will come and see him because they've heard his podcast. People come and see him and it's, and it's him and his wife. They'll mm-hmm. do like a live podcast at a at a venue in Dallas one night and then do stand up the next night and it's the same people coming out for two different things. Mm-hmm. It's like it really is. I mean, I look at Dub. dub I, I came up with. The, I'm not. I mean, I, I have to pay tribute to fucking Benson uh-huh. because I came up with the Call and Sick to Work show because he has a 420 show. And I thought, how fucking genius. You're getting the club when they don't have business normally. He's doing it at 4.20 in the afternoon? He does it at 4.20 on Sundays. Nice. So like he'll do a 4.20 show. Not, not every Sunday, but like, like when I'll be on the road, he'll be like, uh, this is the way he just lives his life. Um, you're in D.C.? I'll be in D.C. I'm going to do a 4.20 show when you're there. And then I was, in, I was in San Francisco. He did a 4.20 show and a midnight show on 419 to celebrate 420 he <laughs> sold out both of them i didn't sell a fucking ticket <laughs> like he sold out two shows bookending my show at odd hours uh-huh. when everyone's supposed to come to the fucking club everyone's like oh there was a show at 7 30 i didn't know about that one when did you guys start doing them at 7 30 what the hell's going on yeah i think benson's an, a really inspirational guy but he's a guy who and then this is this has always been my problem also and and I think you've done this too. It's like you have who you are as a com- like what you're going for as a comic, you know? Yeah. Like your thing is you're the call in sick to work guy, or yeah, what, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's not yeah. really your thing, but like yeah. I'm a f- the, the, I'm a fun, party guy. I'm a fun party. I'm, yeah. When you come to my show, you should walk out smiling. The fun guy who's yeah. having fun at a party, right? Yeah. And and Doug is the guy who gets high, and you know, and I'm like, I, I don't, I, I've never been able to really, you know, it's like I'm the guy who r- r- reads too much, you know, or what? <laughs> it's like, well, no, that's a very accurate statement, but it is a market of people. It's like the people that are. I'll say this guy's name only because I know, I like him and he knows I like him. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it sound, it's going to sound like I like You're the people that go to Todd Berry's show uh-huh. are do not go to my show. Right, right now Todd Berry's like uh, that's not an insult; it's a compliment. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not an insult; it's a compliment. Like I, I did a weekend right after, like I came in t- and did a one nighter in in Tennessee in Nashville after Michael Ian Black. Very different audiences. Yeah, of like course. even the club said, we don't think any of those people have ever been to our club. Right, and I went, oh yeah, like it's like Jimmy Kimmel showed up in mid- late night and had a brand new group of people that weren't watching late night. Right, like and so it's, uh, I find I, f- I think you're right. Is you got to find the n- 
you got to be like the guy who does this. Like, I like people who do this. So yeah. I want to go see a guy who does this and talks about doing this. And my, you know, I always, I always, the worst show I ever had, the worst show I ever had was a midnight show at Stand Up New York. And it was myself, three comics. Yeah. Myself, Lisa Lampanelli. <laughs> And Jim Norton. Okay. And I went last. Oh, why? Was this when Lisa Lampanelli was wearing the gold rings and the medallions? I don't even remember. There was a point that Lisa Lampanelli was laughable to watch on stage. Oh, really? She's still very funny, but she was she would go up with a with a Mercedes emblem, oh, like God. a big one, and then her fingers were covered in rings, <laughs> and she would be like the hip hop, like yo brothers. But it was just like, it, you know, so Lisa Lampanelli goes up and talks about how much she loves big black cock. Yeah. Jim Norton goes up and talks about how he loves murdering hookers and storing their heads in his closet. <laughs> and then I go up and I'm like, guys, what's up with time travel? You know, and the audience was just like, I'm obsessed fuck with fucking you. time travel. I'm obsessed with fucking yes. time travel. I had the, I, I've told this on stage but i'll tell you isla my youngest is a little she's a little out there <laughs> she's a, an interesting kid uh-huh. uh she's dyslexic but she uh she's it's got a very weird brain H- how old nine very interesting brain like so she's a real person at this point she's a real person she's not she's, just like a little little oh, she's a real person yeah so my wife my wife and her friends go to uh europe and i'm staying with the kids mm-hmm. I, I don't, i'm on the road a lot so like doing tv or doing i'm on the road a lot and so I'm staying with the kids for the first time. Like, I'm really staying with them. And I'm connecting with them. Like, mm-hmm. I don't do that often. That sounds really horrible, but yeah. it's fucking part of the gig. So um, You seem like a bad guy. And so Isla yells in from her bedroom, Dad, I need to talk to you. So I come into her bedroom, and she's in a bunk bed. So I'm, like, eye level with her by standing. And she's laying in her bed with her back. And she just flips up on her side like this. She goes, do you believe in time travel? <laughs> by the way, I'm obsessed with time travel. So uh-huh. literally, I am pot committed right away. I'm like, I fucking do. I do. <laughs> and she was like, do you think it's possible that I came from the future and told myself a secret? And I was like, yes. And then she just rolls over back. She goes, that's all I wanted to know. <laughs> and I was like, baby, what's the secret? But like, I love time travel. I love time. My wife believes there's two types of people. People who like time traveling movies and people who don't like time traveling movies. Mm-hmm. And I am in the first group. Yeah. Well, Hard. if it's done well, it's great. What, what name a bad time travel movie? Um, time Cop. Which one's that? Jean Claude Van Damme. Okay, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> time Cop. Uh, well, I'll tell you who doesn't like time travel is people who like watching Lisa Lampanelli do big black cock <laughs> jokes and Jim Norton doing murdering hookers jokes. <laughs> I mean, it was literally like you know you, you remember those shows at midnight at Stand Up New York. It's an hour, so you do twenty minutes. Yeah. So I'm up there for twenty minutes. They those guys both. They're both great comics. They both fucking killed the yeah. whole time they're up there. I go up there. It is packed room. So 200 people in stand-up New York. It is silent the entire time I'm up there. Just silent. Nobody heckled. Nothing. I finally get to the end of my set. I'm doing my last joke. I go, well, I'm going to do one more thing and get out of here. And just from the way back of the room, very low, but audible enough that everybody in the room can hear it, you just hear a guy go, thank you. God. <laughs> and I go, I just go, I'm with you, sir. I'm with you. <laughs> I wish that more people respected, like, I wish there was a group of people that liked uh, good comics who thought, like, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, like, comics that, in, in and of that moment, 
is what is brilliant and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Not to say that there's nothing wrong with like I don't mind a guy who's got a prepared act who does one hour of the same exact stuff, but a guy who could who like like when you like you saying that in the moment, it's one of the funniest things you're gonna hear all fucking night. <laughs> I'm with you, sir. <laughs> just silent, like I'm just up there, and and you know what I luckily it was late enough. You know I'd been doing it long enough, yeah, that I did not come off stage and feel particularly badly oh yeah like early on in my career i would have been like i suck i'm horrible whatever but i came off stage and i literally i was just like well i held my 20 minutes i did my 20 minutes i didn't complain i didn't get mad at them i didn't blame them i just did my jokes and they were not interested you know and that's that's fine um it's i i i came off this stage like probably maybe maybe a month ago now but uh and I had a mediocre set at best, like at the store, a mediocre set mm-hmm. at best. And Rogan and Bill Burr went, had gone up before and after me and just destroyed. Mm-hmm. Both of them destroyed. Book ended me. Bill destroyed. Joe destroyed. And I was really down. And I was like, I was like, fuck, man. Like, God damn it. Why? Well, I had the same audience. And then I'm laying in bed. I'm like, oh, they're the two best comics working. Right. Like, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe you just happen to be friends with the greatest ones doing it. And don't just because you're friends with them doesn't mean that, that you are, should be as funny as them. Those guys are pretty good. Yeah, fucking yeah. <laughs> okay, Bill Burr, mon, like monster destroyed. And Rogan had this bit that I think of. I can't think of him without thinking of how great this fucking bit is mm-hmm. about uh, Caitlyn Jenner. I was like, it's one of the best. <laughs> it's one of the fucking greatest perspectives on be that. Be careful. Whole. Be careful. Yeah, I mean that goes back to what we were talking about before. Yeah, you know that whole that whole controversy with the stuff Bill Burr did on uh, on uh, Conan about Caitlyn Jenner. No, what happened? Uh, you know he he did some jokes that I thought were really funny about how he has to get used to it because he came up when this guy was the greatest athlete in the world and now he's a woman or she's a woman. Like he was just kind of like getting into how confusing it can be and stuff. Yeah. And just got so much Twitter outrage. Are you serious? Yeah. Um, I wonder so. if it's. I wonder. I wonder if like, if you could the coddling bo- of the American mind. Coddling of the American mind. I wonder how. My, well, like, there is. It, there is a weird thing about about life that like I, I was saying to my kids the other night. I was like, you don't understand. Like when I grew up, like it, there is that thing where I go think like. I was in a generation where I, I've witnessed I've witnessed change more than any generation probably previous, mm-hmm. other than maybe the fu- the like the Rockefeller generation when when uh, industry came in and cities started changing and cars showed up. Like this, my lifetime, our lifetime has had more change than anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, we when I was a kid growing up in Florida, I don't know who I was saying this to, but like the N word was used a lot. Like, oh really? Oh. A lot, like not by myself or my parents, mm-hmm. but like growing up in the South, you would hear it, and it, right. and you'd hear it unapologetically right. at, at a grocery store, and by a, a white person, and mm-hmm. you'd go, just keep your head down, right? And I mean, in our neighborhood, there it was a, it was a, it was part of an adjective, like you threw that word at the beginning of the end of another like uh, phrase, verb, yeah, a verb, and that became the way that verb was displayed right uh like i'm not getting too into it because i don't like talking about that but no yeah i have no idea what you're talking about but so. um, yeah, yeah I but 
like, and then we went through emails, through the internet, through the accessibility of the world, through political correctness. I mean, political correctness has changed everything and so much. Well, I almost feel like the political correctness thing is almost a reversion to making things more difficult to talk about. Oh, yeah. You That's know. what that whole coddling of the American mind yeah, is about, yeah. is that political aggression or political correctness and uh, trigger words trigger have made words, it right. that they're not teaching um, they won't, they're not teaching the legalities of sexual assault in legal classes in college anymore because mm-hmm. kids complained. And it seems like the person that gets most offended in the classroom is the one who's got the loudest voice. Mm-hmm. So now there's a teacher who said, I... Was obs- I was upset and I quit teaching. And this is what I was listening on on on, on to an NPR because he said I I was asked to not no longer teach uh, the rape laws and sexual assault laws in class it's a trigger for because people. it was a trigger for people. Mm-hmm. And he said the person that hurts the most is the victim in the like because now I'm not teaching something. So what who will get hurt the most is the person who will right. possibly one day get raped because now a bunch of these kids don't know the legalities of this right. because I can't teach it in a school where it's supposed to be a breeding ground for thought and for constructive thought mm-hmm. and a gra- and a, a place where you're supposed to come up with great ideas. That's what college was like for me. I remember it showing up and when I was mostly with drugs but like but like I showed up and I remember f- like feeling like I'd learned about like the Grateful Dead and like fish and widespread panic and like and like all these things about like things I didn't know about. Yeah, I was not I was not good in college, so. Did you did you uh, I was I was really young when I went to college. I had just turned 17. Really? Uh, and I really felt it. Like I felt much younger than everybody there. I had gone to an all-boys high school, so this is my first time like dealing with girls and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I you know, I had a girlfriend in high school and everything, but like dealing with that on a regular basis and I felt felt weirdly unsocialized compared to everybody else, which was totally not true, but was a huge barrier in my head and that's sort of I don't know. I think part of my comedy comes from that of like always feeling outside of everything else and not part of everything. Um but so when I got to college, I was like, okay, I'm younger than everybody. Everybody else is cooler than me. So I'm going to try to be cooler than them or show them as co- how cool I am by staying up later, drinking more, you know, doing less work, going to class less often than everybody else. Yeah. So it was really kind of a waste of, of four years. You know? Four? I was in seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I found out second semester senior year, I fell to class and wasn't able to graduate on time, which was very traumatic because I had to go home and tell my parents to cancel their hotel reservations and tell all my family they weren't going to come up for my graduation. So that was uh... – and by the way, at most schools, if you fail a class second semester senior year, you can still go through graduation because yeah. they know you'll you'll get your degree. But That happened to me. Not at my school. I filled two classes my senior year, and they still let me walk. Yeah. And then they told me, yeah, you need to take correspondence classes because the teacher wouldn't pass me. Most, most places are like that. And so I moved to New York and t- took correspondence classes, <laughs> hung out at that Astor place, Barnes & Noble. Do you remember that place? Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I used to work there. Oh, really? I ended up working there, but I'd hang out there and I'd get coffee and I'd work and try to f- fucking get through these classes. And For many years, that was where I went to get my hair cut all the time. Oh, the Astor, Astor place. place. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, really? Right there, yeah. I never got a haircut there. It was great. I used, there was a ten bucks. I loved that whole little Those area. Nineties haircuts where you get them high and tight, you know. With yeah, lots on the top and nothing on the sides. When did you move to LA? Two thousand four. 
Really? So, what was the What was the point? Um, I always had this idea in my head that I was going to move to L.A. when somebody asked me to, like when somebody gave me a job. Yeah. And that just wasn't happening. Um, and I actually came out here in 2003 to work on a show uh, for Besser that Besser did uh, called Crossballs for Comedy Central. I remember Crossballs? It was a really funny show. So I came out here for like three weeks, and I had an agent by then out here. And that was that was Crossballs was when a make believe person correct. would argue a real person. Correct. It was a great show. Uh, so I got to be on it a couple times, and then uh, did some writing. Are those for online? It. So it was, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna go watch some Crossballs. I um, I bet they're ten times funnier now that I'm a smarter <laughs> fucking comic. <laughs> uh, I had some fun on that show, um, but. When I came out here, my agent was like, I'll set up some meetings for you. So I, I, I was here for three weeks, and in one week, I think I had like 15 meetings around town with every network and production company and management agency yeah. and whatever. And I was like, this is – L.A. is great. I'm going to come out here. I'm going to move out here. It's going to be – you know. So I moved out here in 2004 and fucking nothing, you know, <laughs> just nothing. Um, it's amazing how quickly – they forget and go on with their own lives. Yeah, well, if you're from somewhere else, then you're interesting. But if you're yeah. from here, nobody cares. Yeah. You know, you're just another Yahoo in L.A. Um, but I was lucky, actually, because I did get my first real uh, sitcom writing job within eight months of moving out here. And uh, What show was that? It was a show called Love, Inc., which was on UPN. It was about UPN. a dating service where they would go out with you and be your wingman. Uh, it starred Busy Phillips and Holly Robinson Pete, and I will say it was not a it was not a great show, but it was a great experience for me because it really taught me how to write sitcoms. You know, yeah, I mean, we did we did a full season, so I did twenty two episodes of that show, and, and so you learned the structure, it was like an education. Yeah, it was, oh, it's like it's it was like, like taking a master's school. class. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the cool thing about that show was one day we were in the writers' room. <clears throat> and they both walked in naked. <laughs> no, no, no. The assistant, somebody's assistant, comes in and goes, um, "Quentin Tarantino's assistant is on the phone, and he wants to know, or the assistant wants to know if Quentin can have DVDs of every episode of the show because he loves the show." And a friend of mine, Andy Secunda, who created the show, was like, uh, "This has to be somebody playing a prank or whatever. Like, this is a joke." But sure, send them, you know, wherever they want. Just send them, you know. And so we had this whole debate, like, was it real? Was it not real? Was it real? And then apparently at the Oscars that year, it was it was the year that Michelle Williams maybe was nominated. Somebody who was friends with Busy Phillips. So Busy went to the Oscars, and she went to a party. Quentin Tarantino was all the way across the room, and as soon as she walked in, he was like, Busy! And, like, came running over and was talking about how really? much he loved the show. And, yeah. So, you know, obviously Quentin Tarantino has some weird tastes, but that's an did. interesting guy. I saw him I saw him in New York at the Starbucks that's off of Seventh Avenue in between Bleecker and West Third. There used to be a Starbucks on in between Bleecker and West Third. Uh huh. Or Bleecker and West Fourth. Okay. And there was a Starbucks like right around there. I saw him writing uh I I'm, I can only assume Django. It, it was no, it was no, this was so long ago. This is like True Romance? No, 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 no. <laughs> Not that long. <laughs> but he was writing all of whatever. No, it was, uh, I, I can only dawn. assume it was Kill Bill. Kill Bill. And he was writing it in a, in a, on a. He writes longhand. Yeah, longhand. And I went, I was watching. I just read one. an interview with him yesterday and, and he says, and I love it because I write longhand too. I can't do it on the computer. Really? And he was like, 
the guy goes, do you still write everything out longhand? And he's like, if you were writing a poem, would you do it on the computer? Which I thought was such it's a very great. fucking. I wrote my book on a computer, and I was like, "Well, it's good because I won't lose it." Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I that I've tried wrote I tried writing a script in. Uh, I've been having these great moments that I go, "Oh, that's a sitcom moment." Like, but it's not on sitcoms right now. Uh-huh. Like that doesn't exist. But it was a great sitcom moment. Like I go, "Oh, that's a good scene." Right. What's happening right now is very funny, and it's a good scene. Like yesterday, we drop off. Uh, we drop off. One of the Goodman kids and my wife walks her into the house and I'm alone with me and my two daughters. And I said to them, my wife's walking and I go, I love your mom's waddle. And then my <laughs> daughters go, They're, you're very lucky she married you. And I said, I said, well, you should have seen the chick I almost married. And they're like, what? And I go, yeah. And I start making up this person. Uh, I go, her name is Penelope. And they're like, what did she look like? And I go, she was like 5'10", blonde hair. And I go, she was a champion diver. And I start making up this person. And it was really fun. I go, yeah, she was a kid. She got into a bank bank robbery. And she had had her parents had to move her to the mountains. And I start really like elaborate. And I was having fun creating this character. My daughters are listening. And then you realized how much they're going to have to pay in therapy to make up for the fact that you just lied to them like that. And so my (laughs) wife gets in the car and they go, mom, did dad really have... A girl you almost married. And by the way, that not there wasn't a girl I almost married, but there was a girl before my wife. Yeah. That was like, there was a crossover. There was probably more than one girl before there was, your wife. There was one girl that was a crossover <laughs> that is, I'm still friends with. So my wife thought I was talking about her. My wife's uh. like, my wife's like, well, I don't, I mean, and they're like, was she, did she really have a wolf? And my wife's like, a wolf? <laughs> She's like, yeah, she was the president of the rescue for cats and dogs. I'm just painting pictures of shit all my daughters like. And... My wife's like, wait, what was her name? And Georgie goes, Penelope. And my wife goes, yeah, Penelope Figment. That was her last name. <laughs> and then they're like, wait, who are you going to marry? And then I start drawing this picture of my wife's guy. I go, his name was Corky. And I start painting this character of this guy. And it was so funny. And I was like, oh, that could be – like if I sat down and tried to write that, I bet I could make that funnier. Yeah. That's a good moment. And then – In a family-type sitcom? Yeah, but like I'm a different kind of dad. So it's like mm-hmm. – like, you know, I'd, but – and so I was like, oh, that could be – you know, but then I don't know. So then, but and so I, I've been writing in my joke book. I I up my joke book to a bigger book, and I've been writing in the back just scenes that I think are funny, and then writing outside. It's great to have that stuff because then when it comes time to actually write something, you can just go look at all that and go, "What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this?" And then when I put them on my computer, they just disappear because you don't know where they are. But it's not in something. I don't flip through it. I don't. Yeah, it's not a place of things. It's a place. That is a problem. I mean, for me too. Like I, I don't. I'm not good at organizing stuff anywhere, but especially on the computer. Yeah. How many shows have you written on? Um, I couldn't tell you, but I would say somewhere in the vicinity of seven or eight, maybe. Yeah. Do you ever try to write your own show for yourself? No, I never have. I'm trying to write. I, I've literally never even written a pilot for anything. Like, I've never even written a spec pilot, which, really? is, which is bad because I should have that at this point. Um, so I'm trying to write one right now. And the main character is definitely, I would not play him, but it's definitely based on me. Um, yeah. It's funny. I, I had a meeting with my agents to talk about this idea. And I mentioned it came out of, like, me... Just falling into an internet hole and finding out stuff and, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I go, you know, because I was 47 and I was like, you know, when if you have a good relationship with at least one sibling when you're 47, 
that is a predictor of a longer and happier life than other people. <clears throat> so I want to write. So I'm, so I'm saying to them, I want to write this show about this guy who figures out all these little things he has to do to make himself live. You know, and ooh, I like that. They go. Oh, I fucking and like that. The first that. thing the guy goes is he goes, okay, but could he be younger than that? Could he be a younger guy? <laughs> I fucking like that. Oh, that's like it's like almost when you go like when you look online and the and they say things that. The like people who walk ten thousand steps right. turn out Shit to leave like a hell. Like you know? oh, that fucking. It's almost like a like a like life hacks. Right. Like you find things out and you like notice them. Mm-hmm. I really like that. So, uh, but anyway, you know, his immediate reaction was like, Can "That's be- way too fucking old." You know. Yeah. And I was like, I, "I'm not. That's not the point. The point is yeah. just like you know. You're missing the fucking. Yeah. You're looking at the goddamn bark on a tree, going. I don't see the forest." <laughs> Fuck, I hate when the agents do that and they just like, ugh. They're coming to see me do stand-up tonight, so I'm a little bit. are you doing stand-up tonight? Uh, I'm doing, well, I I can't say because I'm taping something and we're not allowed to say what it's for. Oh, yeah, but this isn't going to air today, so. No, this is coming out not until January. Okay, Okay. well, I'll ask you off air. Um, But anyway, it's like. I've just started working with these guys because I didn't even have an agent when I got this Mr. Pickles thing. And I was like, I'm the fucking head writer of a show. I should have an agent by now. Yeah. Uh, So I started working with these guys and they're great. I like them a lot, but we're still, it's like we're in the early dating phases. The thing about, the thing I think about agents is um, you don't want them to be your friends. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest mistake I've made is having an agent be your friend. Then it's like all of a sudden it's like, and I'm not talking about, by the way, I'm not talking about like a booking agent. Like, there's booking agents that have been my friend. I worked with Matt Frost for a long time, and I love him dearly. I still do. But, like, as far as your agent agents, you want them to kind of respect you, and but not, like, be like your boy. Right. Like, I, I fell into that a couple times where they're, like, I had an agent who just wanted to party, and you'd go out to parties, and... And you'd, he'd invite you to how, parties, and you'd go out and do fun stuff, and you'd introduce him to hot chicks, and then you're like, well, "Am I your like your pussy agent?" Like, I'm going to rely on these guys to introduce me to hot chicks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, you, I like I like the ones I'm with now. I'm over at UTA, and I like it because I walked in and they looked at me as a guy who could make them money. Yeah, and I was like, "That's what I want you to look at me like." Yeah, you want them to have dollar signs in their eyes. Yeah, and they're like, the, "Yeah, exactly," um, and that's fucked up. But that is the system. I want them to. I used to say, I, I, people used to say there was guy like Mitch Hedberg, oh, they kept him on the road too long. I want that. Mm-hmm. I want the guy that's like, I don't give a fuck about his health. Right. He needs to figure that shit out. I want to make money off this guy. Right. Because in that way, I'll make money. Like, I don't like, I mean, but my managers are different. They're like, well, Bert, you need to take all of December off. And I'm like, I'm not going to. Your won't. liver needs to take all of December off. Do you drink? Yeah. Do you? Uh, a lot. A lot? Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Fucking love it. Does yeah, Bastard drink? No, no. He smokes pot, right? Yeah. What is that? Did you ever smoke pot and do improv? No, I'm not. A, I'm, I've never been a pot smoker. I mean, I wish I had been a pot smoker because yeah. I feel like I do. Well, sometimes I enjoy it. Sometimes I don't. Yeah. But I also feel like it's so much less harmful to you than drinking is. But I just never got into it. How come? The, how come the UCB doesn't have a show on Comedy Central? Just a UCB show. They used to, right? They did. They had they three seasons have, they of a sketch a fucking, show. The best talent in the country well, is coming out of there. they're doing so many other things at this point. I mean, you know, Ian Roberts is one of the showrunners at Key and Peele, which is now ending, but he's running another show on TV Land, and Amy obviously has done fucking reasonably massive. well for herself. Uh, but, Matt Walsh is on Veep, and he's on I did. By the way, I didn't, know, I didn't know Matt Walsh was Matt Walsh. Oh, really? I didn't know. 
I knew him as the guy on Dog Bites Man. Which I also wrote for. That was a great show. Yeah, really That was funny. a really great show. Mm-hmm. I knew him as a guy on Dog Bites Man and then uh, ran into him at an audition, not knowing he's that Matt Walsh. Uh-huh. And I said, hey, man, I love Dog Bites Man. And he's such a nice, sweet guy. He just said, oh, th- oh, thank you very much. And we ended up talking at this audition. And then I said, man, the guy from, in my head, I'm like, the guy from Dog Bites Man is a fucking really nice guy. <laughs> then I fucking drive. I'm, we're are in this neighborhood. He lives in this neighborhood, and every it's so funny because I've been to his house, and I haven't been there like in a year or two. Yeah. But I was like, "This is right where Walsh lives." When I was yeah. driving over here, and I I said, um, I said, we do every Fourth of July. There's a big parade for the families. Everyone gets on the bikes, and we all dress our bikes up and ride our bikes around. And I saw Matt Walsh, and I went, "I know that guy. How do I know that guy?" And in my head, I couldn't figure if it was man versus man bites dog. Or dog, dog bites man, man, or or what? And I went, no, oh, that's interesting. And I was trying to take a picture of my daughter. I, sometimes I'll take my camera and hang it low. And I, instead, I ended up getting a picture of his calf. He had, and it looked amazing. It was You're a, talking about the child of his cow, right? His yeah, calf. right, right, right. Yeah. But he was on a child's bike, uh-huh. riding a child's bike, and it happened that his calf looked yoked. And I went, I know that guy. <laughs> I know that guy. I got a picture of his calf. If I ever run into him again, I'm going to tell him I got the best fucking. It's a good picture of him, by the way, because it's his calf. I've been calf, jerking you, off to your calf but for you see him months. In it. I, if I find this, I'm going to fucking post it. But um, <laughs> And then I saw him over at Marie. I see the coffee shop that over there that everyone, everyone in the neighborhood ends up going to. Uh-huh. And I saw him and I go, dude, I walk up to him. And I'm like, I got the most amazing picture of your calf. And he's not the kind of guy that's like, oh, cool, send it yeah, to me. He's yeah. like, uh, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Matt Walsh is very talented. He's a great actor, great actor. But the, all the but all the, the the school and all the people going through UCB, like there should be. Oh, there's. I mean, Broad City is people who came out of UCB. Yeah. Um, and then you know, every time I turn on the TV, every show has people from UCB on it. Uh, so they're you know they're a factory at this point. Yeah, yeah. What, what's your uh, what's your podcast? My podcast is called The Long Shot. I was I thought that's what it was. And it's it's at thelongshotpodcast.com. It's um it's just myself and a woman who's a comic named Amber Kenny and a guy who says he's a comic. I don't know that he is, whose name is Jamie Flam. Uh he's also the booker at the improv and he's a he's a baffled man. Um <laughs> But I love him. What, love uh, you, Jamie. Is it just the three of you? It's the three of us, but we have guests a lot of times. Oh, oh no, I'm it. sorry. We have a new guest. We have a new host this season. We when we started the show, Eddie Pepitone was one of the hosts. I heard you and Eddie Pepitone. And uh, then I've, I watched. I've watched you and Eddie Pepitone online. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and then Eddie left the show to do his own podcast, and we didn't have. It was just the three of us. And now Joe Wagner, who's a very funny guy, has yeah. joined as one of the hosts. And we often have guests on the I'd show. I'd love to be a guest. I would love to have you as a guest. I'd love to be a guest. I love you on Improv for Humans. Oh, thanks. So fun. I love Improv for Humans. It's so fun. What it's, a fun I, show. And, I, and that's at Earwolf. You guys shoot that at Earwolf? Earwolf, yeah. Yeah. I, I've been there so many times. I was like, oh, that's such a great fucking show. It's really fun. Um, yeah, but we do the long shot in my kitchen. So Really? We did it at ATC for a while, but it just didn't have the same vibe it's like in my you know i love atc and you know thank god al and bill put that all together yeah but the studio at atc it's you sit in a semicircle, so no one's so, facing each other yeah and yeah. in my kitchen we're all sitting around the table looking right at each other and it's just it's a different vibe you i'll know? tell you i'll tell you the only podcast i've ever done at atc that 
Uh, well, I take that back. Two podcasts that I've done at ATC that um, that the studio wasn't a hindrance. Mm-hmm. Meaning, meaning uh, the setup. The setup mm-hmm. was uh, Punch Drunk Sports and uh, Felipe Esparza. Felipe Esparza. Do you know Felipe? No. Okay. Is he the guy who was on Last Comic Standing? He is the, the most long hair, fascinating guy. Uh huh. You, you got to get him on your podcast. Yeah. He really is interesting as shit. Really fucking fascinating. Uh-huh. That's what the one thing that's so cool about being in this network is that you come home and you're like, "Hey, man, like I, there's so, all of you guys, so many of you guys that I wanted to talk to. I, I feel, I feel <laughs> uncomfortable. Honestly, I feel uncomfortable reaching out to. Oh, really? Yeah, because I, I'm like, I don't. Like I like I'm afraid people are going to be like I don't know who the fuck you are. Oh no, that's not true. It's funny because it's funny you say that because when when I got that email that said Bert wants to have people on his podcast, you know, yeah. whatever, I was like I'll email him. I don't know if he'd want me on the show. Oh, but fuck yeah! <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? That's so funny. Yes, just fuck everybody's yeah. image of themselves is so different from everybody's image of of other people. You what, know what I'd I mean? like to do, what I'd like to do uh, more of, what I'm I'm trying to, I got to a place. I had a very big tent pole month in my podcast where i got more numbers than i've ever fucking gotten it was your transformers period yes mm-hmm. and uh and uh what it was though was it was just the fact that everyone on that podcast that month was famous right and i was like and it was cool it was very cool to talk to them but i felt like chasing after famous people was not like that's exactly what we did with the long shot early on yeah. was like we no one's going to listen to us you get paul of tom got to get on, this person on yeah right. you get besser on you get what i noticed after a while was that for us it didn't make a huge difference in the numbers whether we had somebody very well known somebody not known nobody yeah so it gets to the point where it's like we have our dedicated audience let's just have fucking fun doing this and it's not you don't want to just get the people that download you on that episode because they saw the guy they like. Mark Maron's going to be on there. Yeah. yeah, and so what I like to do, and I, I do this, I do this. I'm going to do this more often. What I'd like to do is do this: mm-hmm. hang out with people that where you can just hang out with other comics and just talk, where you can talk about whatever. Right. I, I love that. I've done. I did uh, Jackie Cation yesterday. Mm-hmm. I did Owen Benjamin yesterday. Uh, you, I got like a bunch of really great fucking talent, funny people just to shoot the shit with. But what I really want to do, and then I'm going to do a solo podcast in the week. In the middle of the week, I'm going to do one by myself to work on whatever, to talk out loud about whatever I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And then what I'd like to do is I want to start doing more of where I bring like four people in and we just drink and shut the doors. That would be fun. And like, and do it at, do it at like the end of the night or maybe, like I did one with uh, with a bunch of black black guys uh, it was called my oh, black boy. cast, and we drank at like <laughs> eight, nine in the morning, and uh-huh. we were fucking lit by eleven when we wrapped it up. And I was like, "I gotta fucking take a nap." Like, and the, it, but those ones where people come over and drink are the best. You gotta be careful. I we've done that a few times on our show, and it's yeah. been really fun. Like, we'll we'll just pop, pop open a bottle of Jameson's or something, and you know, it's been great. Then we had one episode, and I will tell you this. I have a thing where once in a while, not often, but maybe every three or four months, because this business is so up and down. Yes. So I'll do something. I was working on Mr. Pickles. I finished Mr. Pickles, and it's like being on a boat in the doldrums in the middle of the ocean. You got nothing in front of you, nothing behind you. You don't know what the fuck is going to happen. And so I do a thing where I will just once in a while go full on 
Charles Bukowski and just leave my house at 11 o'clock in the morning <laughs> and go find a bar and start drinking. And it's fun for me. It's I like I meet, it. I meet crazy people, but they're all really interesting and yeah. whatever. So I did that. Then I came home and I realized we had a podcast recording that night. So it's like I've been drinking all day. It's now 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. At 6, people are showing up to do the podcast. And I'm like, okay, let me take a nap for half an hour. <laughs> But I'm wasted, you yeah. know? So they show up to do the – and I really what I should have done was was I should have called in sick. Yeah. I should have called in sick that day. They show up. Jamie brings a bottle of whiskey with them. Uh-huh. So now I start drinking again, and I was just having difficulty stringing sentences together. What episode I number even, is that? It's so that number – I don't know the number, but it was the last episode of season nine. And I and it, you know it's like I couldn't even listen to it because I turned it on and you know that drunk voice people have sometimes where it's like you're trying to say yes. something. As soon as I heard that, I was like, "Oh fuck this!" And I had the I had a thing in my head where I was like, "I don't want to release this episode," but then I was like, "You know what? I'm a grown up. Let me just accept responsibility for." my actions and of course our fans are so dedicated that i'm sure a lot of them hated it but a lot of them were like that was my favorite episode ever whenever i get drunk on an episode everyone fucking loves it (laughs) like i got every every time i've ever done rogan they're like if i'm not drinking they're like you're not drinking (laughs) you're like well i I thought i'd take the day i'm trying to be healthy oh fuck healthy man i gotta fucking drive a forklift (laughs) but i will never i will never do that again i mean i'm not saying i won't have a drink on the show but i will never just be well hopefully loaded and then get more loaded as the show goes on you know well, I'm going to try to set them up. I'm going to try to set them up with the emails I got. I'm going to like do it through my wife the way I've been doing it. And I'm going to try to set up like like I come in town and like, hey guys, let's do like a let's do like a like a fucking 5 p.m. early cocktail sunset. Great. And get like fourth. And if you're in, I'll I'll put yeah, you yeah, in that circle. I'd love to do it, dude. Thank you so much for doing this. I really thank you for it. having me. This has been fucking. It's been. This is what this is the reason I podcast. <laughs> Honestly, cuz we never get this opportunity to Yeah, no, I was just saying that to somebody. I, my cousin is a is a comedy nerd and I saw him down in Virginia last week and we were talking, you know, he listens to my podcast but he also listens to everybody's podcasts and I love it because, you know, it means there's one person in my family who kind of understands the world I live in and what I do, yeah. which nobody understands that, you know. Yeah. Um and we were talking about it, and I was like, when do you ever – I love the podcast that I do, and I love doing this, because when do you ever get to sit down with one person or two people and just have an uninterrupted conversation for an hour or an hour and a half or two I never, hours? I would never get this opportunity. I mean, you're at a bar, and there's people you know, coming up, and you just don't do it. I don't talk this way to my family. Let alone you know? what an off. I mean, and I say this, I say this as a, a fan of podcasting. But how awesome is it to listen to two very funny people talk? Mm-hmm. Like it's one of the one of the. If you can tell me where there's a podcast like that, that would be great. That's how we end the show. Sean, thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks for it. This episode was brought to you by the Machine.